boy, it is Saturday, and I just realized I haven't read any chapters for tomorrow. So, chapter 13, here we go. On page, what is that? 166, it says, it's the bulleted things. It's not fair. I will always feel like this. At this point, I'm just trying to survive. I'll never fully recover from everything that's happened to me. I'll never be happy again. I don't deserve this. My life wasn't supposed to be like this. I want to move on, but I can't. You wouldn't believe what I've been through. Why don't I get the good breaks? Chapter 13. Not overcome. I choose to be grateful. My good friend Brooke was dis disillusional and frustrated. She had a college degree and believed there had to be something that suited her skills better than a job on her feet all day working retail. Yet six days a week, she made the 20-minute drive from her apartment to the anthropology store where she worked, fuming all the while about how far her life was from where she had envisioned her for herself. Then she heard something that opened her eyes to the real problem with her life. I remember the day I started listening to scripture in my car, she told me. Barely two minutes into the audio stream, a passage caught her off guard. The text being read was Philippians 1. I thank my God in all my rem remembrance of you, Paul said, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring to the completion of the day of Jesus Christ. Paul was thankful, so thankful. He was thankful for his fellow believers, thankful for the diligence of his co-workers, thankful for where he was stationed even though he was under house arrest. The man was minding his own business. Oh, minding his own mind. As Brooke drove to work and listened to these words from Philippians, she couldn't help but, but be struck by the constant contrast between Paul and her. Paul had been imprisoned for preaching the gospel, yet despite this unjust treatment, he saw fit to give thanks. He saw fit to keep praying, to keep ministering, to keep striving alongside fellow believers for the hearts of women and men. What, she had, what had she seen fit to do, according to her? Complain. But her thinking shifted that day. Jenny, she said, I saw my life in a new way. She realized she could choose how to view how she viewed her work. As she entered the store that morning, she saw her co-workers with fresh eyes. She decided to forge real relationships with, with them, watching for ways to care for people and serve them. She began interacting differently with customers, seeing them not as nameless strangers, but as real people with real stories who might need real grace. She began using her drive time to pray. A month into her new practices, she told me that she no longer despised her job. In fact, she loved it. Instead of fixating on the unfairness of her circumstance and stewing over how she deserves something better, something that used her skills and education to best effort or best effect, she began to see her less than fulfilling job as an opportunity to advance the kingdom.
God had sent her in a strange place in love to love others, and now she was excited to be part of his plan. Instead of looking for things to complain about, my friend was now looking for reasons to give thanks. She didn't know it at the time, but she was doing herself far greater favors than merely ensuring a more pleasant drive to and from work and a deeper satisfaction through her workday. She was rewriting her brain by choosing gratitude, but she was allowing God to remake her, her body and mind. Your brain on gratitude. Victimhood is yet another enemy of our minds that keeps us fixated on something other than God on, in the universe, believing the lie that we are at the mercy of circumstances. But we have a choice. We can center thoughts on the certainty that no matter what comes, we are upheld securely by God's righteous right hand, and that will shift our minds toward gratitude. A few years ago, the magazine Psychology Today referenced a study from the National Institutes of Health that reported that subjects who showed more gratitude overall had higher levels of activity in the hip- uh, hypothalamus, which I tell you in case you, too, were doodling during your college biology lecture, in parts of our brain that controls bodily functions, eating, drinking, sleeping, the whole works. Doing something as straightforward as saying thank you is like a tune-up for our inner world. Expressing gratitude caused subjects to experience an increase in dopamine hits, the reward neurotransmitter that makes the brain happy. In short, each time a subject expressed gratitude, the brain said, oh, do it again. In this way, feeling gratitude led to feeling more gratitude, which led to feeling more and more gratitude still. Once you start seeing things to be grateful for, your brain starts looking for more to be grateful for. Research has revealed seven key benefits to those who make gratitude a practice. Number one, gratitude opens the door to more relationships. Something as simple as saying thanks to someone you know only slightly makes that person more likely to look for a friendship with you. Number two, gratitude improves physical health. When people are thankful, they exercise more, make better decisions about their health, and experience fewer aches and pains. Gratitude improves psychological health. It reduces harmful emotions such as jealousy, frustration, and regret. Gratitude enhances empathy and reduces aggression. One study found that grateful people are more likely to behave in a pro-social manner, which I think is a nice way of saying a grateful person is less likely to be a jerk. Number five, grateful people sleep better, which is good enough reason in itself for you and me to be grateful. Number six, Gratitude improves self-esteem and allows a person to genuinely celebrate the achievements of others instead of wishing she'd been the one to achieve. Number seven, gratitude increases mental strength, helping a person lower stress, overcome trauma, and increase resilience even during bad times. Just one question. If gratitude is this good for us, and it is, God designed us that way, then why is it so hard to be grateful when life isn't going the way you or I think it should? Are you ready for a shift? 
Ever wonder why some people seem happier than you, even if they are going through more difficult circumstances? Maybe you have visited Christians in developing countries thinking you were there to minister to them in their need, only to realize through their smiles and joys and selflessness that you were the one who had the need. Yeah, me too. When Paul wrote his letter to the Philippians, the greatest exposition on joy ever written, he was actually bound in chains under house arrest. Paul apprehended something we in our cocoon of comfort in the West rarely realize. He understood that because we have been made new creations, we have the Spirit's power and the choice to make. Changing our minds is possible. We do not have to spin because we know our happiness is anchored in something greater than something we can see here and now. So this prompts a second question. What are you looking toward to make you happy? Whether it's people's praise, whether it's experienced strong emotions of happiness or disappointment, that's likely the thing you're living for, and it's very likely ruining your life. If all Paul saw were circumstances and his inability to end his imprisonment, he would surely have been despondent. But his circumstances didn't dictate his thoughts. It was his love of Jesus and trusting good, loving, in-control God that consumed his mind and gave him purpose. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same spirit that empowered Paul to trust in the direct circumstances is fully accessible to you and me right now. As we make the shift from debilitating lines of thinking to the thoughts that are helpful and God-honoring and wise, we can make the choice to be grateful. We can be people who consistently and sincerely give thanks regardless of our wounded past or our circumstances we now face. The lie, I'm a victim to my circumstances. The truth, my circumstances provide opportunities to experience the goodness of God. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will God of Christ Jesus for you. I choose to be grateful no matter what life brings. Paul certainly made this choice, as evidenced by the fact that he was quick to express gratitude for the believers at Philippi, Philippi despite the mind-boggling pain he endured. If anyone knew suffering, it was Paul. In Acts 9, 15-16, God told Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And suffer Paul certainly did. In the book of Acts, we read that Paul experienced having his life threatened, having his life threatened in Damanicus and in Jerusalem, being run out of an anointing, possible stoning, Stoning and being led for dead, opposition and controversy, the loss of Barnabas, his friend, being beaten with rods and imprisoned, being cast out of Philippi, having his life threatened, being forced out of Berea, being mocked in the Athens, being apprehended by Mob in Jerusalem, and then on page one, oh. 
being arrested and detained by the Romans, being flogged, scourged, being imprisoned for more than two years, being shipwrecked on the island, a snake bite, being imprisoned in Rome. Recorded elsewhere, Paul endured confrontation, betrayal of friends, more accusations, whippings, beatings, stoning, imprisonment, robberies, and again, being led for dead. Had one of these things happened in the course of my lifetime, I'd center my whole world on that event. I'd give interviews about it. I'd write a book about it. I'd craft talks about it. I'd tell everyone how bad it had been. I'd cast myself as a victim, something Paul never chose to do. In what he had dubbed our victimhood culture, Paul certainly would have stood out. And what are we complaining about? Anything and everything, it seems. I'm telling you, there's a far better way, the way of gratitude. God made sure to include a clear call to thankfulness in Scripture because he knows that only when you're planted in the soil of gratitude will we learn and grow and thrive. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We are not slaves to our circumstances. Have I told you about my younger daughter's struggle with dyslexia? Every day I watch Carolyn wrestle with learning, with homework, with books, and with words, and every day it breaks my heart. I went to a dyslexia simulation last month. For two hours, I experienced what my girl faces every hour of her day. It was exhausting. It's not just that one word shows up for someone with dyslexia, with the letters out of order with, and written with some scenes like incomplete font. Friend looks like fiend and, or feared or farned or tarned. It's that... Those incomplete, out-of-order letters jump around while trying to read them, making it next to impossible to sort out what it is. You get one word out of 50,000 word book decoded, and then you feel like a rock star. Friend. It says friend. That word is friend, not fend. Sigh. Only 49,999 words left to go. I got home from this simulation and made a beeline for Caroline. You are astonishing to me, I said. She agonizes and wrestles and fights and cries, but she's never once given up. Yes, this is her struggle in life, but this struggle is not who she is. Here's the truth Caroline reminds her full-on diagnosed ADD mama to grab hold of. We can observe our suffering without being overtaken by our suffering. We can see it without being its slave. Refusing to be a slave to our circumstance doesn't mean we don't fight for what's right. Scripture commands us to fight. In fact, by acting justly, crying out for justice, and defending the cause of the oppressed, but in Christ we can fight not from a place of insecurity and outrage, but from a place of reconciliation, of calm confidence, of peace, of love. Why? Because our victory is sure. We already won. This is an important distraction, I think. Distinction, I think. You and I live in a day when true injustices are being named, brought to light, and on occasion overcome and made right. I love this. God loves this. He exhorts us to bring sin into the light so that it can be rendered 
to the world, fighting racism, speaking out against sexual and physical abuse inside and outside the church, advocating for welfare of children and women and minorities and unborn children. These causes are utmost importance of Jesus. They must be the utmost importance to us too. They are very real oppressions out there. Sometimes there are very real oppressions in here too, right inside the church, people victimizing others for selfish gain. I hate this reality, but we can't deny it. Yet despite how these situations feel to us, there is a lot we can do. For starters, we can change the language that surrounds these events. We can help those who have been victimized once and for all break free. Even in Hollywood, advocates have taken to referring to those who have suffered at the hands of the abusers and survivors instead of victims. And I think it's an important shift. To define ourselves by others' wrongdoing is to render ourselves helpless and weak. To turn over our power and joy to our perpetrators only continues to bind us up. Yes, it's tempting to find a home in our pain, to define ourselves by the awful experiences we endured. But if I'm learning one thing from my family and friends, it's that there is an altogether better way. My friend Tara stood up at the church last night and spoke of the multiple racist statements people have made to her face throughout her life and of the outright physical attacks she suffered and the pain she's known year after year. Some of the inexcusable behavior occurred at a previous house of worship which made Tara leery about local church. But I decided to make a choice. She said with bravery, I am choosing to trust again. She went on to tell the story of joining our church and launching a series of racial reconciliation conversations that are bringing together women in various ethnicities to discuss how truly they can come together and do better. I look at Tara's impact on our congregation and I think, how could someone so wronged turn back to people who hurt her and say, I want to build a bridge to get back to you. I want to try again. Tara would answer my question with a single word, Jesus. The way of Jesus shifts everything. In Jesus, we can acknowledge our frustration, pain, and suffering without abdicating our peace and joy. In Jesus, we can change where we fight from without changing what we fight for. By the power of Jesus, we can demonstrate to ourselves and others that regardless of how grim the situation seems, God is in the business of redeeming all things. Out of the gratitude to Jesus, we can see God's purposes in our pain. Tara understands that while the fight she's in is real, she is assured certain, certain victory in the end. And from that place of, great, of grateful confidence, she can reach out, she can trust, and she can love. I'm going to stop there on page 178, right before it says, Seeking God's Purpose Behind the Pain. I'm going to pause there.